Okay, great. All right. <laughs> Should we wait for a break? Okay. Silence. Ready? Okay, guys, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owen Show. We spent a lot of time here talking about what's going on in America with the rise of Trump, the rise of populism. Uh, these are things that the left would have you believe is due to this bubble of racism and sexism and misogyny that was just bubbling beneath the surface here in America. But is that true? What about what's going on overseas? What about Brexit? What about what's happening in Italy? What about Salvini? What about Nigel Farage? Welcome Thank to the you. Candace Owen Show. Great to be here. Such an interesting, you and I have a very interesting background. I tell people in this weird way, we were just meant to cross paths. And the earliest story, and I love to tell this story because um, the best judge of judgment of a character is how people act before you are somebody. And I was an absolute nobody sprinting around CPAC two years ago, trying to give my card and my name to everybody, uh, rushing to be on radio shows. And there was a guy backstage who was very nice to me. And I looked at him and I said, oh my gosh, that's Nigel Farrar. And you were just the happiest, nicest person in the entire world. And I said to myself, this is the guy that's leading Brexit. And in that moment, I said, in America, there needs to be a Blexit. So you really are the source, <laughs> not only of the Brexit movement, but of the, the Blexit well, movement in America. Well, I loved your energy, you see. That's what it was when I first met you. I loved your energy. And the, hey, you know, that's why you've got a long way, because you believe in it. You're optimistic. You want to change things. Um, and, you know, as you said... There's a lot going on. There's America, there's Italy, there's... But I'm going to make one big boast, all right? We were here first. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we were here you know, maybe first. Maybe we're both crazy and, and, enough and, to believe in the impossible. But in the sense of a political movement, you know, the campaign for Brexit predates all the other things sure. that were going on. And I, I kind of think to myself, well, actually, in many ways, the United Kingdom follows America with everything. Fashion, music, financial markets. We follow everything America does. But I think Trump came after Brexit. Do and I, you? And I think actually Brexit in a way, I think Brexit in a way helped the Trump phenomenon because what we'd done here was very clearly to take on and beat the global establishment in that referendum. And I think it's been a, a bit of an inspiration around right. the world. Well, I think, really, I think it's just been symbiotic. I think uh, at the end of the day, as we saw these economies becoming more globalized, people were just starting to feel it. And sometimes it's not about whether or not the sentiment is there. It's about whether or not there's a leader. Right, there's a leader to get to the forefront and say, you know what, enough is enough. It's not It's not easy to stand up on a stage and say something that sounds so crazy and impossible. Right? I mean, you got up and you said, hey. We're going to leave the European Union. Yeah, I was saying it for a long time. A though. very long time. <laughs> I mean, that's and, and yeah. how long? How long were well, you? Well, twenty-five years. Twenty-five years. Yes. Yeah. No, I felt twenty-five years ago. I felt that the political establishment in Britain and the whole of Europe had got things wrong. There was a a post nineteen forty-five, a post-war settlement, and you know, remember this this bitterness and rivalry and constant war between France and Germany had. I mean, destroyed huge chunks of the world, dragged America in twice right. to the conflict. So the idea that post-1945, you have a reconciliation, you start to trade with each other, you start to become friendly with each other as neighbours, all of that made sense. But what I began to see in the late 1980s was that this idea of close cooperation was actually morphing into something else, that rather than being a cooperative structure, it was actually becoming an entity in its own right, a state in its own right, the European super state that they're trying to build, and that this was being done without anybody being asked, 
whether they wanted it. It was being imposed upon them. And there was nothing voters could do to change the structure because the people in power were appointed, not elected. So this is these, these are the first alarm bells that started to ring with me. And I thought then, and I think now, that the nation state is the model that actually works. That's the thing that we feel an allegiance to. That's the thing that we're prepared to pay our taxes to. That's the thing that, in extremis, we're prepared to stand up and defend. Right. Um, and, and so all of these supranational structures, whether it's the European Union, you know, whether it's the annual gathering at Davos, whether it's elements of the United Nations in New York, these are all attempts, actually, to diminish the nation state and what it stands for. And that's, in a, in a way, what is so refreshing about Trump is that here you have an American president who says, hey, do you know what? We are unashamedly proud of who of, of, of who we are as a country and we're not going to take orders from anyone. Well, actually, let, let's back up because, look, obviously a lot of my listeners are from America. And when we learn about the European Union in, in our textbooks, it's something that's positive, right? This mm. is something that people should be celebrating. Yeah. And, and look, the, the Europeans are coming together as countries and they're and they're holding hands. So then I watch your PragerU video and the way that you explain it is it's a bit different. What you explain it as is it's like having two governments as opposed to yeah. just having one. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the as I've said already, the post-1945 idea of reconciliation mm. between warring nations, you know, tens of millions killed, Auschwitz, disasters, whole cities bombed flat, millions of women and children killed, too, the whole thing, you know, the awfulness of what happened 75 years ago is perhaps quite difficult sometimes for a younger generation to really understand. So the idea that you cooperate and become friends and you have trade and reciprocity and student exchanges and all of those things, that's good. But what we now have is a government in Brussels. There it is. And a government in Westminster. There it is. So it's layer upon layer of lawmaking, of rulemaking, but... And who has more power? But that's the key, you see. That's the key, that actually we've ceded sovereignty to a set of European institutions. Mm -hmm. We've ceded sovereignty to a foreign court. And at no point in time did anybody tell us this was happening. It was imposed upon us by the great and the good, our betters, the educated classes who just think we're peasants, a bunch of morons, and, and, and they think they know what's best for us. And so Brexit, above all, Brexit is a fight back against that. Brexit is saying, we want to govern our own country. We want to make our own laws. We want to live in democracy. And we want the people who make the decisions that affect our lives to be directly accountable to us. We want to be able to sack them at the next election with the European Commission. You can't do that. So, you know, people often misinterpret Brexit quite willfully, quite deliberately. They say that Brexit is a small-minded act. It's the United Kingdom turning in on itself and closing itself off to the rest of the world. It's actually none of those things. Brexit actually is about us becoming a normal nation, a normal countries. I mean, you think back through history, what free people ever willingly give up the right to govern themselves? Well, right. the answer is no one ever does. Right. So Brexit is about re-establishing norms um, and hopefully leading on to a Europe. And I, you know, and I see Mr. Salvini in Italy and, 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 and people like him saying very similar things in many ways to what I've been saying for a long time. And what I hope comes out of this is that we get a Europe of sovereign states of neighbours effectively living in the same street and we're going to trade together, we're going to be friends together, we're going to cooperate together, we're going to do all the normal things you should want to do living in a street because, hey, if you all get on, life is kind of better than if you don't. 
But we've got to end, we've got to end this globalist drive to give away the ability to determine our own futures. And it's, I mean, the whole thing's effectively bought and paid for by a handful of giant multinational companies, you know, one or two very rich individuals. Um, and, and they basically would like to see the nation state almost be dissolved. And it's why in many ways the Trump victory was so important because Hillary Clinton was completely sold on this European, the European Union agenda is basically a prototype for a bigger form of global government and cooperation. And she'd actually said to her friends in Wall Street that she wanted America to join a hemispheric common market. Because she was a globalist. Because and, she was a globalist. And, and we were so blessed to have Trump stand up and say, no, Absolutely. we aren't doing this. We are keeping our national sovereignty. And I want to say this because when you talk about that, it, it's such an, a simple concept, right? National sovereignty. What is there really to debate? Why are we referring to this as xenophobia or racism or sexism or whatever, you know, isms that they, the left likes to come up with? And here's what's interesting. When I when I decided to name my movement Blexit, there were actually other undertones that I found to be very synonymous with what you were doing over with the Brexit. Party, because what I thought the black community was suffering from first and foremost was a lack of self-confidence, mm. right? Thinking that you needed the government, you needed more government <laughs> yeah. in order to make things work. And I, I said to myself, what's happened to our community, right? Why can't we get up on our own two feet? Why can't we be independent? Why are we asking for more government? Look at our communities. Our communities aren't doing well. Why are we pretending that we're happy under this structure? And I, I said, are we suffering? Are, are we forgetting everything? Is this is this a... Uh, 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 an amnesia that's descended upon the entire black community. And I feel in many ways when I speak to people, because I do like to hear both sides, when you hear the arguments from Remainers, mm. I, I think, oh my God, how sad. You've lost belief in yourself. Yes, I mean, you're quite right. Your arguments about standing up for your community and putting a different message are almost exactly the same as my arguments as to why we should be a self-governing nation. You know, and I, I've been using the phrase over the last few months uh, that we're a nation of lions led by donkeys. The donkeys that lead us genuinely don't think we're big enough or good enough or strong enough to run our own country. We have to be part of a bigger European bloc. Sad. And, 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 yeah, and it is this basic negativity. Right. Um, I think in our case, um, in the British case particularly, uh, it came because those decades after World War II saw us giving away the biggest empire the world had ever seen. Right. I mean, you know, we went from being a, glo we went from being a global superpower to being an economic basket case back in the 1970s with some really hard socialist governments, which we had, very high income tax rates, uh, trade unions running the country. I, I mean, the, the decline of Britain in 30 years after the end of World War II is, is a quite extraordinary story. But, but, despite that, we have recovered. We are the fifth biggest economy in the world. We do actually speak the language that the rest of the world speaks. We've got amazing friends around the world. Nobody else in history has ever had good relations with their former colonies. Normally, former colonies hate their former... That's correct. I always say about that, it's remarkable how much and America the, and, loves Britain. And, and so we've got the Commonwealth and America, um, you know, and, 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 and you think about it, you're looking at, well, two and a half billion people, I mean, a third of the world's population, live in these predominantly English-speaking countries, have a shared history with us, and it wasn't always perfect, but it's a shared history that we have. Uh, similar values in so many ways. So actually, far from us being too small to survive outside the European Union, we've actually got some amazing advantages. And I was very struck, you know, the other day 
Uh, Donald Trump was here in London a couple of weeks back. It was a remarkable visit. I mean, this man who was hated by the entire British media, by virtually every politician. I mean, I was almost the only person at one time daring to stand up and say, look, I think Trump's a good guy. Right, you were. And I really you was. Really, no, really I really, were. really was. You know, even Boris Johnson and Kate were being very rude about him at the time. And Trump comes to London for an official state visit. And that means, of course, Her Majesty the Queen. It's an invitation from Her Majesty the Queen. And Trump went to Buckingham Palace and inspected the Guard of Honour and had tea with the Queen. And then there was a big, you know, white tie state banquet. He sat next to the Queen. And uh, funny, I was thinking, Trump and the Queen together, the two most famous people in the world. (laughs) That's actually true. It really is worth thinking about, isn't it? And clearly, clearly, uh, just from the body language, you can see they were having a very good anime. She likes him. Yeah, no question about it. Um, But what was so interesting about Trump coming here for that visit was there was a big message, which was America's ready. We've done our homework. We want to have a much closer economic cooperation with the United Kingdom. Just get Brexit done. And I thought to myself, this is so interesting because it gives a positive alternative to all the negativity we get from government and elsewhere. And I, you know, if you look at it right now, all right, you're way, way bigger than us, but... NATO only exists because of the two of us. Right. You know, and it needs some reform and Germany Germany and the others need, need, need to start paying their membership fees. But so already we have this amazing military cooperation between us. We have intelligence cooperation between us at a level I don't think any other two countries in the world have. You know, we trust each other. We share information with each other. And, you know, we're on the lookout to combat global terrorism, things like that. We've got two world wars together. I I, mean, there's a a deep history. That's a huge price, you know, which we commemorated, of course, just two weeks ago. Uh, And I I I wish I'd been there, actually. But to see see those hundreds of people in their mid-90s going back to those beaches. And remember, Americans, Canadian, British. We three countries actually made these huge sacrifices to save the to rest save of the world. To save the world. Save the world. And, 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 Not and just Europe. We liberty and democracy world. and all of these things. Um, and, I, and, and, and I just felt um, at the end of that week, it had been an incredibly positive visit from Trump. And I think you'll find his popularity here now is very different to what it was three years ago. I think I was watching, I was even, I was, I, I don't, always love everything Piers Morgan says and does. Uh, but I really appreciated watching that week as he he really defended the president. He did. And said, you know, what is it that you don't like about this man, right? Well, let's get to your arguments. And I think um, uh, the leftists looked terrible. I mean, they were throwing down old men, this new milkshaking trend that they have oh, going on. Yeah. And you were able to see, to me, this tr- this visit really showed which side is really the angry side, which side yes. is really the hateful side. And what are we really talking about here? We're talking about believing in ourselves again. And I want to pause and, and, and and talk about a little bit about World War II because this is something that always astonishes me. Mm. When I think about the British spirit, like, and I could just tell you this as an American, right? These are the people that don't give up even when the odds are stacked against them, even when you really maybe <coughs> should think about giving up. And that's, that's yeah. sort of my depiction of the Brits. Think about Dunkirk. You're on your sailboats. These guys got on their sailboats <laughs> and said, we're going to go across and we're going to get our boys. Mm. That was what this what England was about in during World War II. And yes. what's happened today? Yes. Oh, we well, couldn't uh, well, even try to be alone with, well, without out of the EU. We couldn't survive. We couldn't possibly although, do it. Although it's worth remembering that even then, back in, in the dark days of 1940, you know, Dunkirk, etc., uh, there were still leading figures in Britain who would have surrendered. 
So leadership actually is very crucial. Right, right. And, leadership uh, is and, crucial. And, and, and Churchill, you know, who is this extraordinary historical figure, and, and of course, you know, his, uh, his, his, his mother, of course, was an American, and he felt a very strong bond with America. But Churchill was this extraordinary figure who, to be fair, had one of the most checkered and at times disastrous political careers of anybody in the 20th century. I mean, he was involved in some catastrophes. And yet, when it came to that particular moment, when the country wanted... And the country was crying out for leadership. You're right. The spirit within the people was right. there. It just needed need somebody to articulate it right. for them. And, 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 and what and, was on the line? National sovereignty. National sovereignty, National democracy, sovereignty. liberty, all of those things. Why and, can't the Remainers see that, that, that that's really what's, what you're talking about here? It's national sovereignty. It's the same spirit. It's the same idea that you shouldn't belong to somebody else. Because they've got this, they've got this idea that's been pumped into their heads. Much of it, I have to say, through the, through the college and university system, where we have very similar problems on both sides of the pond with this. Right. But here's the theory. The theory is that the nation state existing leads to nationalism. Nationalism directly leads to extremism, directly leads to Nazism, directly leads to the Holocaust and catastrophe. And therefore, what we have to do is to abolish the nation state and abolish nationalism. That's the theory. That's the lie. That's the theory upon which the whole of the European Union actually is predicated and their desire for that to become a bigger thing on the global stage. But they get something wrong. Provided the nation state is a functioning democracy, it doesn't go to war. And, and I've, I've tried this around all the left-wing universities in the UK and a few in America. When we talk about nationalism and what it means, I always say this to them. You give me an example. You give me one example of two mature democracies, mature functioning democracies going to war with each other. There aren't any. So provided, so what we should be, what we should be pushing is not abolishing nation states and handing power up to global bureaucracies. What we need to champion around the world is the concept of democracy. And where you've got democracy, you will have peace. And generally, where you've got democracy, you will also have greater prosperity and greater living standards. And that's the bit they miss. That's the part of the theory that is wrong, the lie, as you call it. And that's so many, you know, and I've met so many in the last 25 years of our political leaders in Britain. And, and I say to them, well, why haven't you got the confidence? Oh, uh, yeah, but, you know, the nation state leads to war. We have, this is what they've got wrong in their minds. And I, the thing that worries me slightly is that we're still teaching that doctrine. Well, I think the thing that worries me the most and something that I actually can't wrap my head around when it comes to Europe is how it's possible that socialists have gotten this far. Like, is there a continent that has learned its lesson more in terms of the dangers yeah. of socialism than Europe? And then you've got Jeremy Corbyn and 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 people, the youth movement talking about socialism. And I'm thinking, how did this happen? How did, how did we forget so soon in Europe about the dangers of socialism? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Again, you see, objectively, you know, if I look at it, Everybody is taught that Nazism and Hitler was evil, right? I mean, this is not a debating point, by the right. way. This is not a debating point right. at all. But kind of, they're not taught in the same way that Stalin and Chairman Mao were, if not equally evil, perhaps in some ways 
in terms of the sheer numbers they killed, killed more people. even worse. And Correct. that doesn't get taught. I also think what's happened with socialism and Marxism is it's morphed into the green movement. That's right. It's become the environmental movement. It's gotten and, a rebrand. And that is very attractive right. to a lot of young people because, you know, why would the future of the planet not be something that we should all be interested in? Um, but again, not taught objectively. You know, uh, I mean, there is no debate about carbon dioxide and global warming. It's taught absolutely as a given and as a fact. So I, I think what you're now seeing in Europe and you're seeing it in Australia certainly as well is the growth of these youth-led urban green movements that are in fact Marxist socialism coming back in a different guise. Right, and I and I believe this so much. They're sort of giving it a rebrand, and people aren't realizing that they're falling into the exact same into the exact same trap. And uh, we we have to sort of conquer that. And I think it does happen at the university level. Mm. And and that's what we try what we try to reverse over in America is getting on campus and talking to people about these things that they're not hearing, but they're so intolerant of a different perspective. Oh, the liberals! They call us the fascists. The you liberals can't have a conversation. are the most illiberal people that you could ever possibly come across in the classical sense of that word. Yes, I mean, those who cry fascist are nearly always now, in fact, themselves. They have no idea. Purveyors. I'm of like, you are the brown church. You're yeah. showing up. You're causing violence. We have to sneak in through kitchens to to yeah. have a, a, to speak at a university. I have to speak through kitchens and back doors mm. and go through basements because we're being greeted with Antifa outside. Yeah. And then you have, and by the way, I don't know if people that are listening to this, if you're aware of what's going on in Europe right now, but there's this trend of milkshaking, not even just politicians, anybody that disagrees with you. I think I saw a very old man, an yes. elder, get milkshaked um, the other day. So they're and and that's going to escalate. To me, that's scary because I think it's going to escalate, right? So once you make it okay, you make it funny to start throwing things at people, which you good. you you got milkshaked. Yeah, I did. I did. I did, and uh, and I wasn't very pleased about it because what I was doing it was. I mean, we we were just a few days away from the European elections, a national election being fought in the UK. Shouldn't have been fought, but because Brexit hadn't been delivered, it was being fought. Um, and when that happens to you in a city centre, effectively, it puts paid. It stops you going on with your business, right. going out campaigning and meeting people. So I was really, I was I was angry about rightfully, it. Rightfully, rightfully um, so. But I, like you, I'm slightly concerned that if you start to push the barriers of what's acceptable behaviour, Goodness only knows what comes next. It's completely unacceptable. I mean, I don't know. Are, are these people getting arrested or is it just, are they Yes, posting? in fact, I, I, in fact, in that particular case, um, I was given uh, the opportunity by the police who said, to, did I wish to press charges? And I took the view, yes. Right. Because Absolutely. I think if this becomes the norm, then candidates, whatever their political persuasion, will find it increasingly difficult to go out into the street, to hold meetings, to meet people. I mean, and without that, how can democracy function? So I have pressed charges and, uh, and um, you know, he will get, well, it won't be a lot more than a slap on the wrist, but at least... It's on his record. But, and then he yeah. has this stupid thing where you went out and you did something really dumb. Yeah. Now you have to explain that when you apply yeah. for jobs. When you And I think that's great. And I think conservatives need to do more of this. Um, sometimes people take the position. I know, you know, when Charlie and I got harassed in Philadelphia, we declined yeah. to press charges. And his thinking was just, oh, let's take the high road and look. But they threw something at him. They threw an egg at, at Charlie Kirk. Yeah, yeah, uh, they yeah. threw an egg at him. They threw water at him. And yeah. I'm thinking, as soon as you make this okay and they know that you're- Yes, that, I, I that mean, you've that's got, right. If you make it okay, it'll go on again and they again will and do again. It, can get away and with. then you'll finish up in hiding and not able to do to do what you want to do. Right, so, so I'm, no, I'm no, no, pro no. Uh, definitely pressing charges in those circumstances. But, but, see, but part of the problem here, and this is very interesting, and it's the same on both sides of the pond. You know, we had this referendum, and of course, civilized democracy only works 
if you have the concept of the loser's consent, so we've lost the election, we don't like it, but we accept it. That doesn't happen anymore. Right? That has completely gone out of the window. Mm-hmm. If you look at the reaction to Trump's victory, the reaction simultaneously to the Brexit victory, you've got senior establishment figures literally refusing to accept these results, trying to blame Russia, a whole host of conspiracy theories. They um, are conspiracy as, theorists. As to why these things happened. But worse than that, they actually believe that their point of view is morally superior. Mm-hmm. But their point of view is, you know, we are just the idiots, the morons. Their view is better. And if you tell people you are morally, you as a group of people are morally superior to that group of people, well, just think of the historical precedent for that. That's where the real hate comes from. That's where the real unpleasantness comes from. So I, I actually, I have to say a lot of this bad behaviour, um, a, a lot of it actually comes from our political leaders. That's correct. They sanction they sanction these actions 100%. Absolutely. I actually I was horrified. You know, I'm following a lot of the the UK politics scene now, but I was horrified to see that this milkshaking trend, they were getting milkshakes from Burger King. Mm. Burger King tweeted on their official yeah. account that you know, basically encouraging it. They yeah. they said, "Oh, we're we're always <laughs> glad to provide milkshakes." Well, do you know why this was? Because I was in Scotland. I was doing an event up in Scotland and the police in consultation with McDonald's, stopped selling milkshakes. And McDonald's fully cooperated with that because they could see there was potentially a problem with me being in the city. And that was when Burger King tweeted out what they did. And I thought, what an absolutely disgraceful piece of action. I mean, any person, in my opinion, and the way that you show them is you show them with, hit them in the pockets. I think if you are a member of the Brexit Party, if you are, you don't even have to be a member of the Brexit Party. You can just be a a concerned citizen. I would never spend a single dollar working. I mean, I didn't already, but I think that that, that's the way you fight back is that was absolutely despicable. And they never came, they never took it back. It was, they just no, sort of pedaled forward. They, they didn't. And, but that was, that, was, that was a direct response to what, to what McDonald's and the police did with me in Scotland. And we're seeing more and more of this, like the, the corporatizing of bad behavior or, or, or trying to make things normal. And we talk about this, you know, we've got Starbucks, which loves to be in the trenches of the political yeah, yeah. debate, particularly in America, you know, saying what they will and will not accept. And it's a part of that is just, can we, can we not do that? Can we not corporatize animosity and hate? And, and can I just get a cup of coffee, right? Can I, <laughs> right? Can I just get a milk? shake and not know what your political leanings are. And because when that, what that sends a message to is people that are doing these things, these violent acts, is that, again, they're morally allowed to do it because it's okay. Yeah. So I'm allowed to yeah. punch you in the face yeah. because I'm a more morally sound person than you. That's the argument that we're seeing leftists make more increasingly. Yes. And they also think, of course, and they really do think in their heads, that the Trump victory and the Brexit win were just short-term phenomena. And that provided they keep pushing and pushing and pushing that actually at the next set of elections or if we have a second referendum or whatever it may be, they think normal service will be resumed, that we'll go back to where we were before, which in fact I think ought to incentivize us 
to make sure we win even bigger next time. And I think we will. And, and, I, and I, I really think we will because people are starting to see because they have grown more increasingly violent. They've grown more increasingly volatile. Um, and they've also grown just increasingly more insane in terms of their demands and what they want, what they are saying, tolerances, their ways to smear individuals as racist and sex. I mean, you can say anything now. It doesn't matter. Uh, if, you, if you're not attracted to black girls, you're a racist. I mean, these are the articles and the headlines that we're seeing. Mm. And they try to tie everything into the Trump phenomenon. Like suddenly Trump brought racism to America. And, and let me tell yeah. you. Yeah, oh, Brexit's the same. Brexit. And it's, and it's, you guys even have the same history yeah. that we have in yeah. terms in, in terms of black people in this in <clears throat> in this nation. So it's it's alarming to see, but they're so desperate. And what they'll do, and this is my opinion, of course, is that they're trying to create all of these wars so that people say, oh, it just, you know, it, it was so crazy while Trump was in office. So we're gonna cause a race war, we're gonna cause a sex war, we're gonna constantly keep feeding the feeding the fire of of frustration and anger and hate. So people start to think think that if he just leaves, it'll be it'll be calm again, right? And this is what they're doing. They're, they're yeah, but constantly I don't think, but causing I don't, issues. But I don't think it's working. And I don't I, think so either. I, I, you know, if I look around uh, America, the UK, Italy, the other great example of where big changes happen, Hungary, uh, you know, I look around where there are either conservative-type politicians that have achieved victories uh, or pro-democracy movements, genuine pro-democracy movements like the Brexit movement that have succeeded. Actually, people are rather enjoying the fact that they've had these victories and they can see, they can see the anger and outrage on the other side. But I, I'm actually very optimistic. I think that, I believe that 2016 is a year that we'll look back on I mean, you and I won't be around, but in 100 years' time, 200 years' time, it'll be one of those standout dates in history, one of those big dates that gets taught at school that something really fundamental occurred. There was a complete pivot from the old order to the new order. So no, I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm in many ways more optimistic about all of this than I've been for a very long time. I actually want to pivot here and then talk about just you in general, because I remember you telling me this story um, and I was just shocked and and people might not remember this, but Nigel was involved in an airplane crash. I was. And, and let me tell you something, uh, very few people walk away from an airplane crash. And, and to me, this is just, <coughs> yeah. it, it, it's a God moment that you walked, that you walked away from that. I, I, I looked at the, I saw the photo of it. It's, I don't look at it. Uh, you, yeah, I, I bet <laughs> I you can't. I bet you can't. Can you no. talk a little bit about that? Because I, 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 in many ways, I think that God was saving you for this moment. It was, um, I've, I mean, I have had a few ups and downs. Um, I had a very major road traffic accident when I was 20. I was run over, um, run over by a car. I broke the left leg in six places, fractured my skull. I was in hospital for four months. That was pretty bad. And I just getting over that. And then I had cancer when I was 21. Uh, that wasn't much fun either. So I'd what, already... What form of cancer did I you had have? testicular cancer. Wow. Yeah, I did. Um, I'm so young. Yeah. not. I mean, just one of those things, you right. know. Um, and misdiagnosed for quite a long time. So quite fortunate in the end to come out the other side of that. And uh, so I'd been in my, in my in my young days, you know, I'd been through the wars a bit, as it were. But the plane crash, oh gosh, yes. Uh, light aircraft, uh, two people... The pilot, me. Where were you headed? Uh, well, it, it was it was a political stunt. I mean, much of my life has been a political stunt. Really. <laughs> uh, we were flying a banner. You know, it was all for photographs and cameras and stuff like that. Um, yeah, tiny little airplanes. I mean, literally brushing shoulders with the pilot. It all went wrong. The banner got wrapped around the tail of the airplane. And, of course, these banners, when, you know, when you see these advertising banners flying in the air, they're big, heavy things. 
So the aeroplane has to pick them up right. and then drop them, dump them before it can come back in to land because we couldn't get rid of it. So we kind of knew for about five minutes that this was not going to end well. And I said, what, five minutes is a long wow. time. What's going through your head in this moment? Interesting series of things. Uh, to begin with, uh, sort of a denial. No, this really can't be happening. It must be a bad dream. This really, it can't be. And then kind of blind panic. It is happening. Um, and, and real fear, you know. Um, and then towards the end, towards the end, as the aeroplane's completely out of control and the ground's looming up, just a sort of a, almost a sort of slightly grim thought of, well, if this is it, let's hope it's over quickly. And that's what, and that's what I thought. I just thought, if, it's, if this is it, let it just be over very, very quickly. And then... Then the tail, then the banner touched the ground, so the plane nose dived into the ground, and I remember this going straight into the ground, bang, and then the plane going over. So suddenly, you know, you're trapped upside down. Everything's broken. I can barely breathe. Um, and I remember thinking, well, do you know what? This is about as bad as it gets. You know, if I get out of this, I'll be very, very happy. And then the real terror was being covered in fuel oil and thinking, well, you know, just one spark and I'll be dead um, and nobody will ever know I survived the crash. And I, having investigated it since, this is what generally happens, that light, air, that light aircraft crash and you never really know who survived the impact because they normally catch fire. Wow. So that was thinking, I mean, to be honest with you, thinking I might burn to death was a lot worse than hurtling towards the ground, and I remember when, I remember when they, uh, they, they, and because we, we crashed in a field, you know, and I remember when a couple of there was there was my press officer and a passing cyclist who came over to try and get us out. They couldn't get the pilot out; he was he was too badly trapped in the wreckage, and it took a couple of hours to get him out. Um, but they got me out, um, and I remember finding the strength to get up and walk away. And I, even though I was all bashed up and, and, and smashed to bits, but I remember thinking, this is the best moment of my life. Oh my goodness. No, I really did. This is the best moment of my life. I've survived this, I'm gonna live. That was an amazing feeling. And I, although oddly, oddly, when the, when the ambulance came 15, 20 minutes later, whatever it was, as the ambulance took me away and the medics are saying, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna be okay. You know this expression about it all draining out of you? Right. Well, adrenaline, you know, we get adrenaline in our lives when we're excited. The peak moment of adrenaline you can ever have in your life is if you think you're about to die. Interesting. So suddenly you're in an ambulance and you're rigged up to a heart machine and you kind of think, well, I've got professional people here looking after me. And with that, you sort of go, oh, it's going to be okay. And then all that adrenaline, comes out and you just feel awful. I've never felt so terrible <laughs> in all my life. It was the most hot, weird, horrible feeling. But there you are. It was. I was badly hurt. I was very badly hurt, and and they put me into a intensive care heart unit because it has quite bad impacts here. Um, I've been very lucky. Um, I've recovered. I've had to have some pretty major reconstructive surgery of my neck. I've got another operation I have to have at some point this year, but it's not a particularly massive one. So there, there are quite a bit, a few, a few bits of tidying up to do. But, you know, it's funny, isn't it? There's a lot of luck in life. The pilot, 
well, he was less badly hurt than me physically, but mentally, he never recovered and took his own life. Very oh sad. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know. Oh, my goodness. You don't know what life's going to throw at you. Right. Uh, you can't judge, as I say, the, the, you know, the mental impacts. And, you know, you think about uh, people who've been out in Iraq and Afghanistan, walking on our streets, and many of them, you know, physically have come out of wars, okay, but mentally they haven't. And it's perhaps something we don't think about enough. So let's let's just go through this. Um, a major car accident. Yes. Cancer. Mm. And a plane crash. Mm. You're like a cat. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I do. Part of me thinks, you know, that that. What that, is God that, keeping that, Nigel that, Farage that, around that, for? That because of all those things, I must have some purpose to serve someone. Right. What is God keeping Nigel Farage around for? To fight for democracy, to fight for the nation state, to take on the global bureaucracy, to take on this attempt by big money uh, to effectively subjugate all of us. I guess that's what it is. Right. At least that, that's what it feels like it is. Where is it? Where is it all going? What do you think? What what's what's going to happen? Oh, we're going to win. There's a question about that. We're going to win. This this whole attempt, this whole attempt to devalue the concept of a country, to try and take away from people their innate pride in their nation, their flag, their identity, and all of these things. Um, I mean, even attempts, cynical attempts to devalue. The family, I, 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 you know, I'm all for diversity. I'm all for people doing what they want to do. But let's not take away some of the fundamental building blocks that have made our societies and civilizations what they are. You know, our Judeo-Christian culture, which is, in fact, if you think about it, the bedrock of 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 of, of, of all of our rules of our of our social norms. I mean, even even things like this, you find too few Western leaders prepared to stand up and defend. But now they are. So I no, I actually think we're I I I think we're on course to uh, heading back towards a Western world uh, that is more democratic, that is more responsive to what people want, um, and I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that we can finish up with the Western world where the little guy and the little girl have got much more of a chance and much more of an even break because part of the problem of global corporatism is corporatism has completely swept aside free market capitalism. Genuine free market capitalism means the little people have a chance. They have an idea. They go to the bank. They borrow some money. They set up a business. And a lot of them don't succeed. But some of them will succeed and do terribly well. And it's much, much harder now for the little guy and the little girl to set up their business and succeed because global corporatism has wrapped everything so much in regulation and red tape because it suits them, doesn't it? You know, the more over-regulated the market... The more the world in the, it, the the more the world's run by a handful of companies, which of course means less choice, higher prices. So I'm hoping that we can get back to that idea. I always it's it's funny that you point to a little girl and a little boy because that that is my avatar. I mean, my avatar is just myself in my youth, um, and it just gets brushed over so much by the left. But I think about myself just being this girl uh, in this uh, in this tiny little apartment, sharing a room with her two sisters, exterminator coming to clear the roaches every couple of weeks. Mm. Um, but I was in America. 
right? <laughs> so this did not have to be my ending. And, mm. and I, I worked, I worked really hard. I, I made bad decisions. I took out student loans. I started, I, I had $150,000 in student loan debt. But here's the thing about America. When you protect these concepts that we're talking about, free markets and capitalism, it also allows you to fail. It allows you to yes, fail. Yes. It allows you to make bad decisions and it, and it allows you to come back from that. And I, I just think to myself, if people don't understand that that's what we're fighting for, we're fighting yeah. for your right to succeed, but also <clears throat> your right to fail and, and to start over in life and and if you keep that avatar in mind yes i mean either you make those decisions or, or the state makes those or the decisions, state makes those decisions. So, it so, takes it away so, from everybody so, so these are the two socialism doesn't mean it doesn't mean everybody it, you were going to even out the wealth it yeah. means you're going to even out the poverty and, and, you see, <laughs> and, you see, and you see who was who is it that has backed globalism who is it that's backed this drive to take away nation state the democracy richest people it's in the, the world biggest richest people <laughs> and the biggest companies right and they're the ones that have done it and i and kind of it's funny really because when you say things like that, you know, I sound a bit like a 1960s hard left socialist. That used to be the left's mantra. The left's mantra used to be that big, big business, big banks controlled the world. That it was that it was uh, you know that it was capitalism that was destroying the world. There is no capitalism. It's global corporatism, and effectively, what you find is that the politicians are in the pockets of these giant businesses. That's correct. And, and and that's where we've got to. And all of these things, Trump and Brexit and Salvini, they're all a huge fight back against it. And uh, as I say, we're going to win. I agree. So you strike me as uh, the eternal optimist. And I think that we, yeah, I don't hear often about your personal life, but those stories are tremendous. And I think what I love about them is it's the victor mentality that I'm talking about. It's walking away from from a, a plane wreckage and having a feeling of euphoria yeah, absolutely. <laughs> descend yeah. upon you well, and realize funny, I'm still here. I'm yeah, in this. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? When bad things happen to you in life, you know, I suppose there are two approaches. One is to say, oh, isn't it dreadful? I've been so unlucky. The other is to say, hey, how lucky can I be? I'm still, I'm still here. And I tell you something, every time, Every time I see somebody, and I probably see them nearly every day of the week, every time I see somebody in a wheelchair or worse, I think, wow, I could have been there or worse. Right. So I count my lucky stars. And you should. So we wrap up each episode of The Candace Owens Show by allowing you to leave a message for the world. Like it's leaving a voicemail for the world, right? So you get two minutes. You're going to look at this camera as if every single person in the world is going to be watching and listening to the words of Nigel Farage. Are you ready? I am ready. On your mark, get set. World, here's Nigel Farage. It's an imperfect world. It always has been. It always will be. But what we've evolved, you know, over these millennia, is the nation state. That is how we want to live. We want to live as part of a group, a group we identify with, a group whose flag we're proud of, a group who we'll pay our taxes to, not always happily, but we will pay our taxes to, a group who make laws that we want to respect and obey. And what you've seen in the last few decades is an attempt to do away with that, an attempt to take away the idea that we can run these countries ourselves through a democratic vote and to hand it up to these globalist organizations run by super bureaucrats and funded by big business and big money. And the last couple of years have shown Brexit, Trump, the Italian elections, that actually people have had enough of it. And I would say this, uh, 2016 is a year that your great-great-grandchildren will read about in history books as being the turning point, literally the turning point to a new order we're moving towards the nation state being strong again. We're moving towards us being friends together in the West without giving away our democratic rights. And I would say this to you, be optimistic, 
be happy, smile, be happy warriors in fighting for liberty because the people we're up against, they call themselves liberal. They're totally illiberal. They all seem to be very unhappy, very miserable people. And we're going to be the winners. Wow, that was awesome. Right. I almost cried when you told me the story. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.